So you may not know, but every time you watch a school bus go by, there's something on the school bus that you might not have ever guessed is there. And that is, it's a little box, and it's called a body fluid cleanup kit. It's on every bus that you see. Legally, it's required. And in that box will be some gloves. Now, this only makes sense doesn't it? If you've got to f- clean up body fluids, we get trained on this. Uh, if you've got to clean up body fluids, then um, you don't know what could possibly be in those body fluids. The hepatitis C or B is one of the ones they're most concerned about us. And then, of course, there's, for years there's been the question of AIDS. And so we put them on. Having gloves is nothing new. We're used to this now. How many of you are EMTs? How many EMTs we have here? Now we have at least Robbie. No, I saw him earlier. Is he here? Did he leave? Okay. All right. He's there, and I just can't see him with these lights here. He's right there. You got gloves on the, you got gloves on the ambulance. Yeah, yeah. You're required to use them, right? Because you don't know. So, Robbie, what do you do when you come across an accident? You don't know if a person has hepatitis or AIDS what do you do then? Why do you glove, and what, what, how do you treat them? Okay, all right. And you treat everyone as if they could have it, right? So you always glove up, all right? We're used to it. We say that only makes sense, right? Why put, whether it's a bus driver or whether it's those who work with the EMTs, uh, why put them at risk that they might contract something while they're trying to serve everyone. So we're told you treat everyone as if they are infected. And we all agree. Makes sense. But friends, that simple reality, I want to contrast against it, and that is what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so surprising and so amazing as we have been singing this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 10, we read this. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. And the first thing that we want to know, friends, is just this simple truth. We are able to share in Christ's glory. That's Tidied up there in that phrase, in bringing many sons to glory. We're going to be able to share in his glory. Now, we need to understand that as men and women, mankind, okay, the human race, we had glory at one time. In the, just a previous few verses before that, citing from Psalm 8, the writer to the Hebrews cites this, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, set him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. And was man, when man was originally created, what was he to do? He was to have dominion over the entire earth. He was to fill it and then to subdue it. 
and that would have been over the, over the plant kingdom, over the animal kingdom, over the entire thing. This was man's glory. He was created in God's image. One of the magnificent aspects of God is that he is sovereign. God is sovereign over the entire universe that we can see. He rules over it. He is also sovereign over the entire angelic realm, which we do not see on a regular basis, but is every bit as real. And God is sovereign over all of that. And us being made in his image, he gave us a place where we might reign, where we might reflect him, where we might be made in his image and understand what it is to rule in righteousness and in goodness. And so we were given this place of glory that we might rule over the earth but we lost it we gave way to sin we decided that we wanted to do it our way rather than being the ones who ruled over this earth as God had told us to do we bought into the lie of Satan that says you shall be as gods knowing good and evil and we were trying to elevate ourselves even higher than that and in trying to elevate ourselves higher than the position that God with which God had glorified and honored us we lost it And now this earth, which is to be under our subjection, constantly fights us. And it constantly produces death and destruction, which is why EMTs and bus drivers glove up. Because you never know what is there that will create a potential problem. It's why you as farmers constantly are trying to fight against different types of molds and and insects and all of these things because the ground does not produce as readily as it would have back when we were in our glorified state. So we were given the glory of being rulers and we lost it because of sin. But we saw last week in verse 9, we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We see that Christ, he has received glory. He received glory because of the things that we have already sung about here. He received glory for having, for having experienced the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Remember, we believe. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. These things that we just proclaimed. Christ, who was made lower than the angels... But through his death, burial, and resurrection has now received glory and honor. And he bids to us, those who had glory and lost it, he bids to us come and enter in to his glory. Because he's bringing many sons to glory. The glory that is his. The glory that he allows us to share with him. Now what we notice in chapter 10 here, verse 10 as we're reading is that he says that, for, uh, that in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He describes in this role of bringing us to glory, the writer to Hebrews describes Jesus Christ as the captain of our salvation. Now, it's kind of an intriguing little things that are happening with the words that are here. And I want to take just a, a moment and hopefully put it before you in a way that will make sense. When it says that he is bringing many sons to glory, the word in the original language, in the Greek language, is ago. It means to lead, to bring, to carry. You can picture a guy leading a lamb, if you will, on a rope. And he's going to lead them into some place. But it means to lead, deliver, bring along. 
But there's this idea of movement. And so he is the one who is leading us, many sons to glory, leading us, delivering us, bringing us to glory out of this death that we live in and experience. So he's bringing us along. Ago. And he is, in that, he is the captain of their salvation. What is intriguing about that word is the word captain, and it's very, it's a two-part word. I tell you a lot of two-part words. It is ago. Now, you know the prefix arc. You see it, all, you see it in many places, okay? Somebody's arch enemy, same thing, A-R-C-H, an arch enemy, what is it? It's their primary enemy. It's their first enemy. It's their foremost enemy. This is the one that has to be defeated in the, super, in the superhero movies, right? Their arch enemy is the worst, the first, the primary. If you know somebody who is an archaeologist, you know they're not studying things of modern day. They're studying those things that came first. They're studying things that were older, the first things. So the idea of being the the captain is he is the arch ago, the first one out, the first one leading, the first one moving out. That's what makes him the first to lead, the first to go, the first to escape. And then he, he brings the rest of us with him. So we are the ones who he is agoing, he's leading us, but he's doing it as the first to be able to escape from that place. And so we might call him the captain, some translations, you might have pioneer, He's the first one to do this. Some of your translations might have, he is the founder of our salvation. They all carry that same idea. That this one who's leading us out of our own destruction and leading us into his glory, he is the first one to escape. The first one to go that route. He's the first one to move in that direction. Now, that means that we are because if we have this captain, this pioneer, this founder, who is leading us out, that we are able to share in Christ's glory. We're able to share in Christ's glory. How magnificent is that in and of itself? That truth alone could allow us just to glorify God and praise Him and seek to follow Him. But what we'd like to go a little further is this. How Christ became the captain, the pioneer, and the founder of our salvation is what is so amazing. How he did that is what stands out. See, EMTs like Robbie or bus drivers like Chuck and Miles and myself, we always keep a barrier against a potential problem. That's the point of the gloves. We want a barrier so we are not infected by any possible problem that is there. But Christ was just the opposite You see, we're able to share in Christ's glory because he was willing to share in our sufferings. You see, he didn't save us with gloves on. He didn't save us at a distance. The text says it was fitting, and you've got to kind of cut the middle of the verse out to get the full thought. For it was fitting to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. No gloves. 
He did it by entering into the world in which we live. And the text says it was fitting for him to do this. And that takes us to another place. We've got to back up. This is intriguing to see, friends, to Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Did I give you verse 13 on that day? Okay. Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And you all know the story of Jesus was going to be baptized by John the Baptist. Then Jesus came from Galilee to, join, or to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting, same word, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It was fitting that Jesus would be baptized, he says. That he should be baptized by John. Isn't it interesting that, the, that after this fitting occurrence happens... There's this voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is not just another baptism. This is not just another person. This exaltation of who Jesus Christ is, is set forth at his very baptism. And I noticed in in Hebrews, in the text in Hebrews, that, and we sang about this also in our text in Hebrews, I noticed that it says... For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. It was fitting for this one who is not just another one among us. It is fitting for this one who is absolutely exceptional, for whom are all things. And we had read earlier in the text about how one day all things will be put under his feet. Everything. Everything is for him. And by whom are all things? It's a statement of his creative agency in the very everything we see around us. Colossians tells us that Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who created and sustains all that we have. And so in each of these statements where we say it's fitting that Christ would behave this way among men, we also have right parallel to it a statement that says, but don't forget how incredible he is. He's not just another man. In John's presence, it's the the dove and the voice that says, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. And in Hebrews it says, all things are for him and all things are by him. He's not just another one. Although he is identifying with us. So think about this, friends. Think about this identification that is taking place. Jesus didn't just identify with us by taking on flesh. Now, we're going to celebrate that in a short time. We know Christmas is coming. And we understand the significance of that day. We celebrate that day when the second person of the Trinity laid aside all his privileges and prerogatives as God himself in order to take on flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. What a magnificent truth that God dwelt among men. 
But he didn't just identify with us by taking on flesh. You go, oh, that's kind of cool. Now he, uh, he exists in his incarnation. And he didn't just identify with us symbolically through baptism. Remember, Jesus said when John tried to prevent him from, from baptizing him, because John said, I ought to be baptized by you. Jesus says, permit it for now, for it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. He didn't just identify through baptism a symbol A symbol that said, yes, I am here among men. I'm here among sinful men who are in need of a Savior. He didn't just identify through the the symbol either. He carried his identification to its fullest end. He entered into our sufferings. He not only took on human flesh, he not only identified that he's here for sinful men, but then he went to the full extent of suffering that anybody could possibly understand or experience. And we have to think about that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, again, at the end of the verse, he says, For bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation, we've talked about that, perfect through suffering. So what does that mean? Well, let's put out of our mind anything that there there was any type of moral imperfection in Christ to begin with. There was always moral perfection in him. But in his role as our captain, as our pioneer, as our founder, our archago, in that role, there is something that is made complete. And that's what the root word is there. And we've touched on this one before because it comes up so often. The, the root word in its noun form is telos, and its verb form is teleo. And we use it again as a prefix all the time. The, con- the idea behind that root word is to bring to full, uh, to bring to completion, to bring something to a full end, to finish. But it has to do with bringing it to the very end. And that's when it's teleo. That's when something is finished. And so where do we see it? You know, what are the three quickest ways to get news out? Telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. We all know all of this, all right? We've known this for years. But what is a telephone? A telephone is, I'm here, and I'm able to talk to somebody at the other end. A telegraph. I'm here. We're able to write something to somebody. At the other end. Telescope. I'm here, but I can see something at the other end. It always takes us to the end. That's what we need to think of. Is when we think of Jesus, that he was brought to the end. The fullness, the completion, brought fully to this place of being our captain, our pioneer, our founder. That's what completed it. John 19.30. You guys know the event. We read about it every year. John 19.30. Last thing Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. It is finished. What's finished? At that point, his work is finished. At that point, it's his work that is finished. He has completed being that suffering sacrifice. That is done. 
But not only was his work done, here's what I want us to grasp, friends, and to think about. Not only was the work done, that he died in our place, that he, as in verse 9 said, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's not all that was finished. That's not all that was completed. His identification with man and his brokenness was brought to its full and complete expression. He was made perfect through those sufferings. His identification was complete. It was now a total identification with mankind. Not only that he took on flesh, not only that he identified through the symbol of baptism, but now he experienced suffering as no man has ever experienced before or after as he became the eternal sacrifice on our behalf. And then that finished his identification with mankind and fulfilled it and completed it. And now, as the captain, the pioneer, the founder of our salvation, it's from this place that he leads us into glory. From this place of suffering that he shared with us, that he entered into with us. It's from there that he leads us into glory as the one who has also suffered the full impact of sin, even as we have, in fact, more so. Than we have. How could he do that? That's what the whole resurrection is about, friends, that we also said we believe in the resurrection. He got into the muck and the mire with us, and where we get caught in it, he defeated it, and he was able to get out of it. Guys, I gotta tell you, I'm never having more fun ever driving, ever, than when I'm driving the Man Cave Edition F-150. Okay? Here it's a couple years later. I, every time I'm in it, I feel like I should call Randy Ramblin Rose and say, Randy, this thing is so much fun to drive. You can't believe it. Never had a vehicle that looked that nice. I've never had a vehicle that just handles that nice. And I've never had a four-wheel drive vehicle. And that really is where it gets fun. So we're out at Trout Lake, right? And those of you who've been to Trout Lake, you know. You know, and I, you got to back the boat in in a very narrow area, and it's sandy, it's soft, where you're going to pull out from once you have your boat loaded up, and they have these metal grates you're supposed to back up on. Yeah, right. Like, I'm going to back up on these two metal grates and get the boat straight in or the trailer in the water at the same time. It ain't happening, folks. So I'm just getting the trailer in the water, and then we'll drag the boat, we'll put the boat on the trailer, and it happens every time. I'm not on the grates, so I don't have any traction, so I go to pull out, and it goes, bzzz. And it's where the fun starts. Right, Vernon? You know it's going to happen. Don't worry. I got it, guys. Put it into four-wheel drive. It just pulls that right on out. Yeah. I got a four-wheel drive man cave edition pickup, and it can't be stopped. Well, I got to tell you, before ever trying to take the boat there on my own, I thought I better go on YouTube and learn about how you unload and load a boat. So I'm looking on YouTube, so I'm not going to look totally stupid out there uh, with my trying to learn my new skills as a, uh, as a, a boating guy. <laughs> Forget it, it didn't work. I looked totally stupid out there. And the guys were out there saying, so yeah, he's ridiculous with his boat. But looking there, when you go on YouTube, you look for something, they always got to have these epic fail events that are out there. And so I'm reading about this, watching this epic fail of a guy trying to get his boat out of the water. Now, it's one of these places where you can actually have your vehicles on the beach. 
And so they just put, you know, back up into the water and put their boats off. And when it's time to come, they back up into the water and they're going to pull their boats back in. Right? So this guy's trying to get his boat back in. And he gets, he gets the boat onto the trailer. And now he tries to pull forward. And he's just out way too deep. And it's way too soft. And, uh, you know, it's not going anywhere. So hero to the rescue. Next guy comes along with his four-wheel drive vehicle. And he's going to pull him out. Yep, still not coming. By the time they were done, they had four vehicles needing to pull that guy out, right? Because once those other vehicles got down in the muck, uh, they were in trouble. And that, that proved for me what I remember being told years ago, you know the difference between a two-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive pickup, right? What's the difference, guys? Need a longer tow rope with a four-wheel drive pickup, right? It's going to get stuck. You just got to have a lot longer way to go. And why do you need the longer tow rope? Because the guy who's pulling you out has to stay on good, solid ground. He's got to be at a place where he can, he can have traction. Because if he comes into the muck with you, he's stuck too. Any of you guys ever do this with a tractor, maybe in a field, right? You know you got to stay far enough away. You got to have that kind of traction in order to pull out. You got to stay away from the problem and work from that distance, But you see, Jesus got right into it with us. You see, Jesus didn't wear gloves so that he could stay away from the disease. Jesus got right in there with us and he bore our suffering. Which gives us that magnificent truth. We're able to share. We're able to share. We're able to share in Christ's glory because he was willing to share in our sufferings. No gloves. No extra long chain. He came right down into the mess with us. Then he had the victory. through his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's why verse 9 tells us he's seated in glory. And he is able now to lead us out. He said, guys, this isn't going to stop me. And he comes right to us. Comes right to us in the mess. And he comes right to us in the muck, in the mire. And he says, it isn't going to stop me. I'm able to get out of this stuff. So come with me. And he leads us out. And he is the captain, the pioneer, the founder of our salvation. The first one, the first one to lead out, the first one to go, the first one to have that victory so that he can then bring us with him. And as he brings us with him, he says, come, there's glory awaiting. Yeah, you messed it up. Mankind, you messed it up a long time ago when you were in rebellion to the Father. But I've come, I've had the victory, and I'm bringing you with me now if you're willing to come. Magnificent truth, friends. If you look around up here, it looks really pretty, doesn't it? Isn't it beautiful? Peggy, I saw Peggy, I saw Mary... I think I saw Patty, and of course, the ever-ubiquitous Miles, okay, who are putting up these decorations this week. I'm sorry if others were involved. I didn't see you, okay? But doesn't it just look absolutely beautiful? Amen. Amen. Please, please. It looks beautiful. And I know that the heart of those who put that up is entirely, and I believe the heart of each one of us who are here, the heart is to glorify God, to enter into this season in a way and to call attention to the magnificence of what God has done, where he's Emmanuel, you know, God with us. That's magnificent, isn't it? It's wonderful. 
But one of the things we've told, we tell ourselves in the process of all the things that we do around Christmas time is we say, let's keep Christ in Christmas. Let's not lose sight. And I believe that's where your hearts are at. I don't want to lose sight of the things that matter. Well, Hebrews puts it this way. We already looked at it a, uh, a few weeks back. And it doesn't say keep Christ in Christmas, but it does say in chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We did an entire message on that. Lest we drift away. Lest we just kind of lose track of the thing that is important, that is who Christ is and what he has done as the, as the captain, the pioneer, the founder of our salvation. Ah, that was interesting for a while, and now I drift to something else. I drift to a lot of shopping, and I drift to a lot of food, and I drift to a lot of music, and I lose sight of the one in all of it. And Hebrews tells us the same thing when we tell each other, let's keep Christ in Christmas. It says, don't drift. And what I'd like to do is just wrap up with just two thoughts. Really, it's just a, just a rep- repetition to make sure we've got these two thoughts so that we don't drift, so that we remember how to keep Christ in Christmas, because we want that. Number one, let's remind ourselves, Christ didn't treat us as if we might be diseased, like bus drivers and EMTs do when they have to clean up a mess. He didn't treat us as if we might be diseased, and therefore he kept a barrier between us. That's not what he did. He knew we absolutely were diseased, And refused any barriers between us so he could fully enter into our suffering. Think on that, friends. That'll keep us in a good place during the Christmas season. That's thought number one. And the second thing I remind us of what we've already said. Because of that, we are able to share in Christ's glory. Because he was willing to share in our suffering. He got down into the mess with us. And he experienced death on our behalf. But by the, his death, burial, and resurrection, he was able to escape that mess. And then he calls to us and he says, Hey, I'd like to lead you out of here. And I'm going to bring you back to a place of glory that you lost long ago. It's my glory, but I'm going to let you share in it. We keep those in mind, friend. And we can honor God with a very, very significant Christmas season. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Magnificent, magnificent truths of Christ's total identification with us, Lord. Not just that he took on flesh. Not just that he symbolically was baptized to show his identification with us. But, Lord, his total identification was fulfilled when he suffered on our behalf. And he bore our sins. And he tasted death that by your grace we might have life. For that we praise you, we thank you, and I ask, Lord, that you'll enable us to keep that forefront in our thinking throughout this entire season that we might indeed have spirits daily celebrating the magnificence of this one who is our captain, our pioneer, our founder of salvation give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, Lord, in his name. Amen.